0: the Holy Spirit is a divine person with an indwelling presence that demonstrates an unmistakable power. He's a person. He's not Jesus Jr. He's not a shadow of the real thing. No, he's a divine person.
1: read about this
0: fellow named Bill he seemed to know everybody and everybody knew Bill he was telling one of his friends about the people he knew and they said you can't really know everybody and he says well yeah I kind of do and he said well for example do you know Tom Cruise and he says well as a matter of fact and so he said prove it So they jumped on a plane, they flew to Hollywood, he knocked on a door of the alleged house of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise comes to the door and says, hey Bill, what's up? Come on in. His friend drops his jaw and goes in and when they're leaving, he said, well that was impressive, but... I don't imagine, you know, the president of the United States. He said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, prove it. They hopped on a plane. They flew to D.C. They went to the White House. Said, tell President Trump Bill's here. A few minutes later, President Trump, POTUS, came walking out. Said, well, hey, Bill, why don't you and your friend come on in for some coffee? His friend was in shock. But as they left, he said, well, that's impressive, but there's no way you know the Pope. He said, just wait and see. They got on a plane. They flew to Rome. When they got to Rome, it was time for the Mass, and there were people everywhere. And Bill turned to his friend. He said, I don't think we can both get to the Pope, but I know this. The guards will recognize me. They'll let me through. His friend said, yeah, right. So he said, I'll be back in a minute. So he said, we'll wave to you from the balcony when the Pope comes out whatever. So Bill leaves. He goes to the crowd. He goes to the guard. Sure enough, a few minutes later, he and the Pope walk out on the balcony. They're waving to the thousands upon thousands of people. When Bill gets back to his friends, he finds the paramedics are working on him. He says, what in the world happened? He said, everything was fine until you and the Pope walked out on that balcony. And the guy next to me said, who in the world is that with Bill? a lot of our life is about knowing and being known and today we're going to see in scripture the importance of who you know who you know and who you're known by we've been journeying through the book of acts the book of acts is referred to as the acts of the holy spirit you may have called it the acts of the apostles but if so it's the acts of the apostles as empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. The key verse in the book of Acts is found in chapter 1 and verse 8. You're familiar with this. Let's read this aloud together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that becomes the theme, that becomes the pattern for which we see everything that takes place in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, the apostles went out, and the church was born. And throughout the book of Acts, we see the church advancing with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem Outward, throughout the world, we meet all kinds of people in the book of Acts. For example, we meet a guy named Stephen. And when we meet Stephen, we find out something about him. He is full of the Spirit of God. We meet a guy named Saul. Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He was a Jewish rabbi. And he would go to where Christians were, and he would be involved in their death. In fact, he was involved in the death of Stephen Book of Acts records that on a Damascus road, this guy named Saul from Tarsus meets Jesus Christ. He's converted. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. He becomes indwelt with the Spirit of God. We no longer call him Saul. We call him Paul. And he becomes the missionary whose journeys we follow throughout the Book of Acts. He writes about a third of what we have as our New Testament. We've watched him through the first eighteen chapters go on two different missionary journeys. He does whatever it takes to to obey the commands and the commissions of his newfound Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I say those three words, I can't help but think about the mission of this church. So let's say that together again. I want to remind you of that today. We want to do, say it together, we want to do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and the love of Jesus like a city on a hill. I hope that that's your life. I hope that wherever you are, you really do have a whatever it takes mentality so that people People in your little corner of the world see that you follow Christ. Well, through Acts 18, I mentioned that Paul is taking two of his missionary journeys. He always begins in the Jewish synagogues and he always goes and takes the gospel to the Greeks and the Gentiles after that. In Acts 19, we're going to find him on his third missionary journey. But as we think about this chapter, i want to tell you, there's really only one point to this message. I did everything within me over the last week to think of three alliterated points, three points in a poem I could give you just to describe Acts 18, but I can't because there's just one message. There's just one point. I'm going to give it to you over and over again. Here it is. The witness of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life is the one piece of indisputable evidence that a person possesses a sincere relationship with God. God through faith in Jesus. Let me say that again. The witness of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life is the one piece of indisputable evidence that a person possesses a sincere relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things we do That we say are Christian, but the one thing that's indisputable that will define you and identify you and mark you as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you're indwelt by the spirit of God. Francis Chan, the American pastor, who's just announced recently that he's leaving everything he has here in the U.S. and he's going to, to take the gospel to Myanmar in Asia, he put it this way, when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. I believe that's what takes place when we sincerely, when we truly follow Jesus Christ, having been indwelt by his Spirit. We begin to do things in such a way, we begin to live in such a way that the people around us see there's something different about them. Remember what took place in Acts 18. In Acts 18, Paul was in a wicked city, the city of Corinth, a world city, and Some people received the message of the gospel, but many rejected. And like he experienced in many other places, as people rejected the gospel, he got discouraged. And something tells us in Luke or in Acts 18, Dr. Luke refers to the fact that that Paul's about to quit. And as he gets to that point of discouragement, the Holy Spirit of God gives him in a vision the very presence of Jesus Himself. Notice what it says in verse nine. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And I told you last week, there's four things that jump out of that passage that we need to be aware of. First of all, Jesus told Paul, don't fear. And maybe today you need to be reminded of that after this week, something happened. You got a call, you had an encounter, there was an experience in your life and you're afraid and you need to hear Jesus say to you, don't fear. But then he said, speak out. He reminded Paul that though some would reject and others would reflect, very few might receive, but his job was just to speak out. And we're reminded of the importance we have as followers of Jesus Christ to be faithful with the message. But then in probably my favorite part, (laughs) he said, I'm here. Don't you ever forget this, Paul. I'm here. I believe those are words that would inspire what we see in Acts 19, because Paul would recognize that the indwelling presence of God within him changed everything. I want to tell you today, God is with us. God is with us. Pastor Nick and I were in a local restaurant. Earlier this week, and we were having our lunch, and this guy walked by, and I was talking to one of the owners of the restaurant, and this guy knew him, and so he told a little joke and it had some cuss words in it, and, and the owner said, "Hey, you need to be careful. This guy's a preacher." and I said, "Well, it's not anything I haven't heard before." But what it did is it kind of put that guy on edge. So as we were sitting there eating, uh, a few minutes later, he walked back over. It was kind of penance on his part, I think. And he sat down by Pastor Nick, which from my vantage point was very funny because Pastor Nick is kind of a germaphobe. In fact, I would just encourage you, next time you see him, go up and give him a big bear hug. So he kind of pushed his food aside and he kind of scooted over like this. And this guy began to tell us a story. And in his story, he began to talk about this church he had seen. It was called the Church of the Emmanuel. And then he says to us, He says, I've never heard of this guy, Emmanuel. Do you guys know who he is? And I said, yeah, matter of fact, I do. It's God. He's with us, even right here. I want you to know that no matter what you're facing today, God is with us. He is here. He's dwelling in this place. He is here. But then then Jesus says to Paul, hey, buddy, I got this. He says it this way, my people are in that city. And we've all had those times in our life where we think we're alone, we think nobody understands, nobody experiences what we're experiencing. And God wants to remind us, hey, I've put you there. In fact, Paul should know this because in Acts 17, he preached a tremendous message to a bunch of Greeks in Corinth in a place called the uh, 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 Eragopagus. I didn't say that right, but let's just move on. Acts 17, verse 26, listen to what he says. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. You know what that says? God was reminding Paul, hey, buddy, I put you where I put you, and I keep you as long as I want you to stay. He's got this. I hope that's encouragement to you today. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We continue with our message. And then in verse 24, we're introduced to this new character in Acts 18. His, his name is Apollos. We would hear about him again and again throughout Scripture, and he seems like a great guy. He's an eloquent teacher. He is fervent. He's passionate in his teaching. But when Paul's friends, Aquila and Priscilla, find Apollos, they notice something. He's preaching about the ways of God, but he's not getting it right. And they figure out he's a good guy that knows a lot about God and he's making wise choices but he's just heard the preaching of John the Baptist. He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus ascended into heaven and left us the Holy Spirit whereby we can live our lives. So the Bible tells us in Acts 18 that Achilla and Priscilla, they begin to disciple this guy Apollos. He becomes a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. He's now completed in his faith and he begins to be used mightily by God. But when that happens, he leaves the city where he was, a city called Ephesus, and he goes to Corinth. Now remember where Paul was. Paul was in Corinth, and he goes to Ephesus. So they swap places, and that's the context of Acts 19. Listen to the word of God. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse one. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I want to stop there because some of you are reading this from the King James Version. And and this is an example where I think the translation of Scripture makes a difference because sometimes when words are put into the English language, that translation does not capture what the original text was trying to say. So, for example, if if you're reading from the King James, one difference you'll notice. It says, did you receive the Holy Ghost? And some of us grew up and that's how we referred to the Holy Spirit. We thought of him as the Holy Ghost and nothing wrong with that, except in our culture today, that seems a little weird, doesn't it? And I think that probably adds to the reason some of us grew up not really seeking to better understand who this is and what difference he makes in our lives if he's just a ghost, if he's a shadow of the real thing, if, he, if he's maybe what left behind when the real thing left us, or worse yet, he comes back to haunt us and to confuse us. So I I don't like that term, the Holy Ghost. I think the term Holy Spirit is better. But the other thing you'll notice is in the King James, it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? And that changes the meaning of the original text. Because if you can receive the Holy Spirit after you believe, what that's implying is that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is something different than that which takes place at your conversion experience. And as you're going to see throughout Scripture, I, I believe That's not what the scripture teaches. So they answer Paul and they say, no, we've not even heard of this Holy Spirit. And so he says, well, what were you baptized into then? Now, isn't this interesting? Because they may have been disciples of Apollos. Because this is what was going on with Apollos. He had been in Ephesus and he had been teaching good things, the ways of God. In fact, he had been teaching what John the Baptist had preached. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. But Paul says, so if if you've not been baptized with Jesus, what is this? And they said, we've been baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who would come after him. That's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And there we see the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus, because John the Baptist got his name for a reason. He baptized a lot of people, but he baptized people looking forward to what was going to come. After Jesus, every baptism that takes place looks backwards. We're saying, hey, because of the death, the burial, and and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I too have been buried with Christ in baptism. I too have been raised to new life. And now I too can walk in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men of them in their all. Now, let me just say on the outset, I'm not going to talk a lot about this issue of the fact that they began speaking in tongues and prophesying today, because in our time, I want to focus on those things which are clearly continual evidences of the Spirit in every believer's life. And Scripture makes it clear that that's not something that takes place in every believer's life, because Paul would go on to say in that great chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, not everyone is going to have the gift of tongues. Not everyone is going to speak in that way, but everybody who follows Christ is going to have love, right? That's the whole point of his message in 1 Corinthians 13. Well, let me give you a few things from these verses we read. First, I want you to see that there was a conversation that had to take place before the conversion of these men could take place. And so that's why we have to look at this passage of Scripture and realize there are some things that transfer into our lives and how we represent Christ in our world. God has placed people around us that need to hear the truth of the gospel, but he's placed us around them so that there might be conversations about the gospel. That's a good place for me just to stop and ask, how many of you have had gospel conversations this week? So when the guy came down and sat with us at the table and he began to tell his story and wondered about who in the world is this guy, Emmanuel. And we told him a few minutes later, Pastor Nick just turned it and we had a simple gospel conversation. We began it like this. Pastor Nick said, hey, has church ever been a part of your story? Have the things of God ever been anything that interests you? He quickly shut us down. It wasn't a conversation he wanted to have right there, right then. But here's the fact, that was a gospel conversation. A gospel conversation doesn't have to be a gospel presentation. You don't have to make it all the way through the Roman road or however it is that you share your gospel. You don't have to go from the first word to the last word of a gospel tract. You just have to introduce that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope that you have, the reason for living, and the longing that you have for eternity. There was a lady at our Lake Carroll campus that went out of town a couple of weeks ago and she got on the airplane and she sat down by this other lady from Tampa and they began to have a conversation. They talked about where they were going and they were talking about uh, all things life. And uh, several days later, it was time for her to come home. So she went and she got back on the airplane and lo and behold, that same lady was sitting in that same seat right next to her and she said, "Time." she sat down, she just got overwhelmed and, and convicted by the Holy Spirit. And she just turned to her and said, hey, this is not accidental. i got to get busy. I've got to tell you why I'm sitting here. And she began to have a gospel conversation. I would encourage you, look for opportunities in your life to communicate the truths of the gospel to the people you see. Why? Because according to Scripture, other people can tell whether or not you're living a life influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul comes upon these people, I don't know whether it was their faces, I don't know whether it was the fervency of their faith, I don't know what it was, but he could tell, hey, something's not right with these guys. They were good people. They had even repented of sinful choices. And I think there's a lot of people like that today, people who are professing of the Son of God, but they don't possess the Spirit of God because they've never truly begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. We call that moral deism. You believe there's a God, you're willing to do what God wants, you even make wise moral choices, but you're not living your life governed by the lordship of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Like these men, you're ignorant when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. You've adjusted your behavior, but you've never truly begun a relationship with Christ. Some of them put it this way. They said the average Christian is somewhere between Calvary and Pentecost. They've been to Calvary for pardon, but they've not been to Pentecost for power. Bethlehem means that God is with us. Calvary means God is for us, but Pentecost means that God is in us. And so as we look at this, what the Bible teaches is these men, these almost 12 men that the apostle Paul comes in contact with in Ephesus, they could not have been saved. Why would I say that? Good men. They were teaching. They're even called disciples. But why would I say they're not saved? This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. You, however are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Being filled with the spirit of God is a necessity for the Christ follower. That's why the one point of this message is the truth that the witness of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life is the one piece of indisputable evidence that a person possesses a sincere relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, who is this Holy Spirit? Who is this Holy Ghost? The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit is a very real person God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, three persons in the Trinity. God in three distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is a divine person with an indwelling presence that demonstrates an unmistakable power. He's a person, he's not Jesus Jr., he's not a shadow of the real thing, he's not some ghost that comes to and fro like Casper. No, he's a divine person with an indwelling presence that demonstrates an unmistakable power. That's why the witness of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life is the one piece of indisputable evidence that a person possesses a sincere relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you